It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 666 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I have two great conversations lined up for you today. Joining me first will be Tom Poland. Tom is CEO of Leadsology and author of a book by the same name. And following my talk with Tom is another in my series weekly conversations with my partner in crime, Bridget Gleason. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at Discover.org. The Discover.org platform is a game changer for sales and marketing professionals. This feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by more than 250 researchers who continually update contact data and provide account-specific insights to help sales and marketing teams break ahead of the pack. See the product live at discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. That's discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. Okay, joining me on the first segment of Accelerate this week is Tom Poland. Tom is the author of a book by the name Leadsology, The Science of Being in Demand. And in our conversation, we talk about the practical steps that you can take to make sure that your sellers are having a higher fraction of their conversations with more highly qualified prospects. Okay, here we go. Tom Poland, welcome to the show. I'm a box of fluffy ducks. Thank you, Andy Paul. Well, there's an Australian statement for you. A box of fluffy ducks. I love it. <laughs> it, it covers a multitude of experiences. It can be sort of, you know, all like all warm and fluffy or full of shit and feathers. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like it. <laughs> a box of fluffy ducks. That's, that's good. All right. That's, that's going down my book. I, I like uh, good expressions like that. It's, it's all yours. <laughs> so it sounds like you have a uh, four-legged companion assisting you today as well. I do. Monty, the marketing wonder dog, is uh, my border collie friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's my marketing muse. If I need another idea, we hop out the back door and walk along the beach. And by the time I get back, he's given me another marketing idea. Well, that's perfect. That's perfect. So have you trained him to uh, herd sheep and so on? Uh, there's no training required for that. He's, <laughs> tell you what, he's great at a bunch. Of, you give him a flock of seagulls and he's uh, like a pig in mud. Well, he tries to herd them? <laughs> yes, indeed, yes. <laughs> he's very annoyed when they take off the ground too. It's not not playing fair. That's right. You guys, come back, come back. <clears throat> well, that's fun. So, um, well, tell us a little bit about you. We're going to talk about your book, Leadsology, coming up, but uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Background? Uh, well, I was born... Mm-hmm. Uh, how far back do you want to go? Um, no, look, I I, um, I cut my teeth in sales and marketing, wow, um, geez, 40 years ago now, actually. Yeah. Uh, 41 years ago. So, yeah, so I started really young, as uh-huh. you can tell, because I don't yeah, look at over 40, been, I'm sure. Right. I was um, five, six years old at the time. Yeah, and then I got um, then I got into the corporate world and uh, climbed the ladder, as you, as you sometimes do. Uh, still in sales and marketing and jumped out of that particular corporate cage, which, by the way, I very much enjoyed and benefited greatly from because they gave me fantastic training and disciplines, uh, but started my own business again back in 1995 um, and have been doing a, a, something along a similar vein of sales and marketing, as I said, for, for close on 41 years now. And so what was the impetus to write your book, Leadsology? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I always answer with... Um, um, you know, Rocky, I don't know, was it Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, or 11? I don't know which one it was. But uh, there's one scene in one of them where he wants to go back in the ring, you know, and he's been beaten to a pulp in this last, and he's he's had a couple of years off, and uh, he goes to his trainer and he says, you know, whatever the trainer's name was, Bob, i got to get back in the ring. You know, I want to fight again. 
And uh, the trainer looks at him and says, Rocky, you're nuts. I mean, you got the crap beaten out of your last time. You're half dead. What are you going to do this for? Think of your wife. Think of your kids. You tell me one good reason why you got to do this. And then and Sylvester Stallone, who we all know is, is the most one-dimensional actor on the planet, but I still love him. Uh, he looks at the he looks at sort of at the floor and he looks at the ceiling, dramatic pause, and he looks back at the trainer and says, "It's in the basement." <laughs> and you know, I knew exactly what he meant, even right. though it was such a weird experience. It was just, it's just, it's just there, and it's got to come out. And so I, I um, this is my third book, and uh, and the the first book and the third book, it was just in the basement. The second book, I wrote it purely and simply as a lead generator, mm-hmm. and it sold in its tens. <laughs> and, I don't, and I don't mean tens of thousands. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, um, so the third book was written because I just wanted to document what I was experiencing and help other people with that, but I also wanted to get new clients. Let's be honest. I'm not Mother Teresa. Yeah, but I mean, the fact is that the book, Leesology, is about lead generation. I mean, there's no, no surprise there. Um, it's interesting. You're, as I was going through the book and and reading it, is is up front. You have this uh, conversion tool. I'll call it. It's you know uh, five questions, six questions. Your answers that sort of you know take you through your your current situation, if you will, an assessment okay. of some sorts. Mm. Mm. And and I developed something similar years ago for for customers as well. It was, it was I call it a lead deficit tool. And basically, it, it's uh-huh. <laughs> its idea is. If you're going to start this whole business of prospecting, you need to be able to quantify what the size of the challenge is before you put your plan together. And so Absolutely. I thought it was interesting to see, see something in your book that was, was so similar because right. this is a step that so many companies miss. They think, okay, well, we're just – and we're talking you know, mostly small and mid-sized businesses in this, our audience. And, and, but even for individual you know, solopreneurs, uh, you know, consultants as, as you work with a lot and so on, it's like – it's ready, ready, fire, aim, right? Is yes. let's, which, let's, which, let's go prospect. Which, and it's like, well, what are you looking for first? And how many yeah. do you need? And and so on. And I think it was Michael Masterton wrote that book, Ready, Fire, Aim. But and people get all excited about it. But it comes. It's a military term, as you probably sure, know. Sure. You know, if you if you're patrolling in the jungles of Vietnam, and suddenly you're being shot upon, the first thing you do is is, is you're always ready. And then you fire off some rounds, and then you figure out where the heck the aim, the fire mm. is coming from, and, and then you then you then you aim. Mm-hmm. But the first thing you do is fire some rounds, which is fine if you're in an ambush in the South Vietnamese jungle. Uh, however, if you're in business, uh, you're not being ambushed. You know, sit down and freaking will think about how many leads you need. Work back from your ideal revenue target, how many consults you would need, how many, in other words, how many leads you would need to generate, mm-hmm. and then figure out how you're going to do that. So, so that's. You know, we should really be doing more of the the ready aim fire. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that this is something again for people that are interested. We'll give people information on getting your book after the after we finish talking. But but I think this is you know a really key part in it. And and again, one that's just so overlooked, but it's just so essential is know what you're trying to do first. No, I have an idea of what you're trying to accomplish because this will dictate your strategy as much as anything mm. is you are, yeah and and it'll tell you if you need to change your strategy yeah I, well I, that's right I, I yeah i call it the the one number as as you know from the mm-hmm. book the one number so this is the one number that's more important to your business than any other single number and that number is is how many leads have you generated and my definition of the lead is probably different to most people's so so for professionals it's it's how many people are you speaking to each week that have made an inquiry about becoming a client 
Mm-hmm. And and every everything must pivot around that one number because this is those inquiries are like oxygen to your body. You don't get oxygen, you die. You don't get leads, your business dies. So the one number I tell people to emblaze it on the inside of their forehead, uh, which is impossible, of course, but metaphorically speaking, you know, stick it on the sun visor of your car, stick mm-hmm. it in your bathroom mirror. That one number. How many inquiries do I need every week to really rock and roll with this business? Yeah, and I I phrase this. Yeah, how many? Sales conversations. I mean, it, it can't. It's not just somebody that raises their hand and say, "I'm, I'm interested." It has to go beyond mm. that. It has to be somebody that, as you said, there's an inquiry. There's somebody that's on a path to make a decision. And that, because that's what your conversion rate's based off. Your conversion rate's based off your qualified leads. Now, you're not going to win 100 percent of your qualified leads. So, uh, how many of those qualified leads do you need? Yeah, and uh, and you need to know what the spinners are. You said you're not going to convert. You never convert 100. percent You you can you can get it pretty high if you fully qualify a lead, and that lead knows has had an immersive experience of your brand, such as uh, an event or read your book. Or an immersive experience means you know not just mm-hmm. downloading a one page shiny thing, but but they've they've been to something or they've invested their time in something that you've offered them. Right, and they've had that immersive experience, and they know what your fee range is. So there's no, you know, you don't meet with them and they go, oh my goodness, I had no idea you were so expensive. I yeah. can't afford a hundred dollars a month. Oh dear. Uh, well, that's what a what shock. I, right. <laughs> so, so, so they know your fee range. They know how you work with, with clients and they like that. And they regard you as being probably their very best choice, if not their only choice. That's a qualified lead. Well, and this is so great that you're talking about this because not many people understand that. I mean, I I talk with people all the time about what qualification means, and mm. they tend to think, well, you know, they do the whole BANT thing, right? Do you have budget, authority, need, time frame? If we have identified those, we're perfect. You're qualified to buy. And it's like, well, let's hold up just a second because, mm. Mm. first of all, you know, that's sort of a first call, giving yourself permission to have a second call type qualification. That's not qualifying them as a, a qualified prospect. I mean that you may be past your discovery stage before you fully qualify somebody as a prospect mm. to buy your your product or service. Mm. Well, you know, I look I even uh, I mean clearly you know the gardeners had the saying the best earth is the earth that's gone through the worm and um, mixing my metaphors horribly here the words <laughs> the words coming out of your mouth uh, you know are the, are the is the voice of experience um, because you, because once you've done what I did a number of years ago, I had I did an event and I got twenty three, quote unquote leads, mm. and I spoke with twenty three, quote unquote prospects, and turns out every single one of them were broke. Right. So that's when I sat down. I thought, well, this sucks. You know, I'm wasting my I'm wasting their time as well. Sure. You know, they they are frustrated and disappointed. They can't work me. I'm frustrated and disappointed. Let's stop doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, let's put a, let's put filters into place. So the only people we're speaking to know what my fees are and they know how I work with clients and they regard me, if not as their most desirable choice, then possibly their only choice. And then that would be a really good idea to talk. But up until then, probably not so good. Yeah, what well, I, well, I advise companies to do is say, look, here's, here's the process. Really what you're trying to do is somebody's not qualified till they pretty much agree that the value you're providing is going to enable them to achieve their business goals. And so to do that, you do have, yeah. you do have to talk about fees. Uh, you do have yes. to you do have to quantify what in their minds is the value of the business objectives they're trying to achieve. And as long as they look at what the investment is in you and says, "Okay, that seems like that'll work," doesn't mean right. that doesn't mean they love your price. Doesn't mean, but what you've done is you've you've said, "Okay, this is what you're trying to achieve." I linked my value to your goals. We agreed it's worth talking some more. 
Uh, and I've clearly demonstrated a return on investment. And return, yeah, no, and, it's not final. You may still talk about price. You still have to do a proposal and you know, so on and so forth, statement yeah. of work and all that stuff. But you're in that ballpark and you've given yourself permission to say, okay, and this is and, worth and, spending and, time in. Yeah, and added into that mix, you've demonstrated to them in clear, specific, rational, logical terms why you would be their number one choice. Well, yes. Well, and that, and right. that uh, that right. that sort of that mix of both the, the desirable differentiation, as I call it, you know, Coco Chanel said, in order to be indispensable, one must be different. Right. But it, it can't it can't just be different, as in, you know, um, I scratch my my ear while I talk with you. It's got to be desirable differentiation, because mm-hmm. <laughs> because you know I could stand on stand on my head and say, you know, come over here and spend me, spend the money with me. That would be different, but it's not particularly desirable. So desirable differentiation. And that's why I say people need to have an immersive experience before right. as a professional, before they should be talking to you about becoming a client. Um, it shouldn't simply be they saw a banner ad on Facebook and they're talking to you the next day. Um, they should go through this filter where they have to register or buy something, register for a meeting or buy a book or something. Be prepared to sit down and experience your brand in an engaging, interesting, and, and motivational manner, which is which is down to you as as the provider, mm-hmm. um, and then propose. Otherwise, it's what I call Hugh Jackman marketing. Um, <laughs> which should is, I? Should I well, yes, sir. and also Do you like Hugh Jackman or not? <laughs> well, I, he, apparently, he's been voted by some magazine as the world's most irresistible man, like three years in a row. So right. he's doing something right. I, yeah. I made a big mistake. I, I found that out afterwards. But I said to my wife one morning, "He's a New Yorker now. Me, you know, he, he lives here. He's, he's a New Yorker now. Yeah, you can yeah. have him for a while. We, right. we want him back later." Uh, I, I said to my wife one morning, "You know, I'm just curious. Who would you say is the world's most irresistible man?" Present uh, company this part, excluded. This, right? Well, she looked at me and said, "Well, of course you are, Tom." And I, and I thought, "Yeah." I said to her, "Yeah, I'm bald. I got a pop belly. I'm wrinkled. <laughs> who, who could not fall in love with that at right. first sight?" Um, Anyway, I said, you know, cut the BS, you know, who, who is it? And she mentioned a couple of names, but there was no real spark in her eyes. And eventually she came up with, she said, oh, she said, I know, Hugh Jackman. And she immediately starts sort of fanning her face as it goes all, <laughs> gets all red and flushed. And I, and I said, well, tell me, tell me this. If, if there was a knock at the door and you answered it and it was Hugh Jackman and he suddenly dropped to one knee and he said, you're just saying, it's my wife's name. He said, he said, you don't know me, but my name's Hugh Jackman. And he opened up this red velvet box and there was a million dollar diamond ring in it. And he said, he said, would you make me the happiest man on the earth? Would you, would you run away with me and marry me? What, what would you say? And, and my wife looks at me and says, well, you know, I love you, right? Said, yeah. And I know where this is going too. And she said, well, you'll probably never see me again. I mean, the guy can sing, he can dance. He's good looking. He's got a body Adonis would die for. He makes a million bucks a week. And apparently he's a really nice all round guy. I, I said, I said, sweetie, don't apologize. If, if I had answered the door, and he proposed to me, I probably would have gone, <laughs> and, and I'm not even gay. I mean, he's irresistible. Um, but most people are doing their marketing, like the Hugh Jackman. Right. It's like, here's my business coach. Should we talk about doing business? Um, oh, connected on LinkedIn. Hey, you know what? We do SEO work. Would you like some? So it's, it's Hugh Jackman marketing. It's like, I'm irresistible. Take me. Um, but we're not Hugh Jackman. And Andy, I looked up on LinkedIn, and there's a Jack Human. We're more like Jack Human. Jack, <laughs> Jack, Jack is the manager of a, a Nando's chicken restaurant in Doncaster, England. Oh, and right. he looked—he looks more like a slightly overweight, more bald version of me. And I'm sure he's a lovely guy. But if he's the guy knocking on the front door, my wife would have come back. 
And we've got to do our marketing more like we're Jack Human than Hugh Jackman. We've got to give people a chance to date us to get to know that you know beauty is not skin deep before we propose that they talk to us about becoming a client. Yeah, well, and this speaks to this whole topic we talked about. We we're talking about in terms of qualification is that it's qualification something that goes on throughout almost the entire sales process, and you may not fully qualify someone till you're ready to mm. propose or not propose to them. You know, it's it yeah. could take that long, yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. And, yeah, but it yeah, should be reflected yeah. as such in your forecast as it shouldn't be as most companies do is, you know, if you reach the proposal stage in your forecast, that means, oh, I've got an 80% chance of closing this business, which is ludicrous because mm. you know, one, one has nothing to do with the other. I mean, especially if there are yeah. three or four competitors, you can't all have an 80% chance of closing the business. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yet, if you ask them, they'd all say that they're 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 well above average. Yeah, all of them, all of it. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, qualification. We can spend a whole another hour on that, and that's such a critical critical part. But I want to talk about some of the mistakes you talk about in your book um, that companies make in their lead generation strategy, and some of them really stood out. I think. They almost seem somewhat prioritized. I mean, there's too long a list to cover all of them that you had. Mm, mm. And uh, but the first one we sort of just chatted about, alluded to, is you know people putting tactics before strategy. The ready, ready, fire, aim, right? Is yes. Yes. you know rather than sitting down and quantifying and exactly what it is we need to accomplish, let's just go make some calls. Yeah, yeah, that's a group of, it's the sales manager gets the sales team together and, you know, guys and girls, we're behind the eight ball on our objective. Uh, let's get something happening out there. Just knock on some doors. Let's kick over right. some trash cans. Right. Yeah. So, and so those random acts of marketing occur because there's no strategy in place and there's no systematic and predictable lead gen system in place. Um, and I think also, Andy, it happens because people confuse marketing to, and sales and, to make that distinction clear, in my world at least, marketing mm-hmm. is what happen. Marketing is what happens when you when you generate a highly qualified inbound inquiry. Mm-hmm. In sales, sales is what happens when you're sitting in front of that highly qualified inbound inquiry. Yeah, but yeah, the the strategy uh, has to come first, and so we have to know well what's what's the message that people need to read or hear in order to a get cut through and b motivate them to want to know more. That's a foundation, strategic cornerstone, if you like. Um, and, and, and without that knowledge, then it's like pin the tail of the donkey. Yeah. But even in sometimes in sales, they have to go out and make calls. I just can't wait for the inbound leads to come in. Right. So the same thing applies in my mind, at least is that you need to have a strategy for who it is you're going to go out and call on. And yeah, I mean, you I, identify this sort of later in the book, but it's, it's like, yeah, you know, there's this ideal well, customer profile. Who's your ideal customer profile? Why are they there? You know, yeah. at least have something so in it, place. So in my model, salespeople don't do calls, and I know that's a shock. <laughs> and I cut my teeth in the life insurance industry where we, you know, you make we were calls, trained right? to call. You sure. make calls, man. And 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 it's a and it's it's you know, see the people, see the people, see the people. That was the mantra. Right. Um, you know, it's just like real estate, location, 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 the three golden rules. See the people, see the people, see the people. But it, it took me too long in that industry to figure out that really it was see the right people, see the right people, see the right people. Mm-hmm. And one thing I noticed, Andy, which is not in my last book, but it's in my next book, is that the fundamental reason why almost all marketing fails, assuming that you've got the strategy right, is that every single day you and I wake up and we do what we want to do. Every single day we wake up and we do what we want to do. 
some days we wake up and we do what we should do. <laughs> and that's why lead gen becomes inconsistent in sales yeah. teams. Yeah, Because absolutely. people, salespeople don't wake up every morning and get excited about cold calling. But they wake up and get excited if there are meetings already booked mm-hmm. from people who are highly qualified who want to know more about working with them. Mm-hmm. So, so this little this little light bulb moment took me only thirty five years to figure out that we all wake up every day and we do what we want to do, and some days we wake up and we do what we should do. So, I believe that what effective marketing does is it has the salesperson in front of highly qualified prospects almost all the time without them having to go out and do certainly do cold calls. Little metaphor for you. Well, I mean, I, that's sort well, of a well. Before you get to your metaphors, okay, but that that's sort of a utopian world though right i mean i so i, I wrote that yeah. in my second book which was yeah in an ideal world sales doesn't have to make cold calls because marketing is doing as you say is is yeah. creating a sufficient flow of highly targeted leads that well, become qualified but yeah I it's more than a never... utopian world i'll show you how i'll tell you how it works Do you want to know how it works sure okay and i'm not trying to be a smart ass because as i said it took me 35 years to figure this out and it's only with the advent of of contractors so let me introduce you to MD. MD is his initials, not his real name, because he's my little gold mine, and, and I don't want other people Googling him. <laughs> MD is a 23-year-old living in Bangladesh. God knows where. I don't. But he does. And I wake up every morning, as I said, and I do what I want to do. And he wakes up every morning, and he does what he wants to do. And what he wants to do for me is to find me highly qualified prospects. So mm-hmm. He has an internet, and his English is perfect, because all he has to do is copy and paste the messages I gave him. Other than that, his English might not be perfect. Mm-hmm. So, so MD gets five hours a week to work for my business. I, I, we have others, but I'm just going to pick on him because he's a star. And he gets paid $5 US an hour. So he gets getting 25 bucks a week, four, four weeks of the month, and he likes to work 52 weeks of the year if he can, apart from mm-hmm. Ramadan. Anywho, so he gets 100 bucks a month in a country where the average wage for a 60-hour week is $96. So he's a little ahead of the curve, but he's only working five hours a week. Now, he also gets a bonus for people who he gets in front of me who are qualified prospects, not highly qualified, just we just call them prospects maybe. They mm-hmm. have an interest in the subject matter. Right. Yeah, last month, I paid him a bonus of $720. So add that to his 100 bucks that he gets for his five hours then he's on, what have we got, 820 bucks in a country where the average wage is $96. MD wakes up in the morning. MD w- does what he wants to do, which is to work as one hour for me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a should for him. It's a should for me, mm-hmm. but it's not a should for him. So he does what is effectively the equivalent of cold calling. I don't do it because I don't want to do it. And therefore, you know, because I don't want to do it, my efforts would be inconsistent. But he does it all so, email, email-based for you. Is what, sorry? It's all email-based that he does for you? Uh, well, it's message-based, certainly. It's, yeah. it's internet-based. It's message-based. Right. And, um, you know, he has a system which took me quite a – it took me, well, 15 months to, to tweak it and get it right. But he just follows the system. It's copy-paste, copy-paste, copy-paste to the right targets. So so he's he's basically, to, 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 use, to use my metaphor, a forest full of sleeping bears. Some of the bears are hungry. Some of them aren't. In my metaphor, the bears are potential clients, and we mm. want them to eat our little, little honey from our little honey pot. So the option is we can go running into the, into the forest with a sharp pole, you know, pointed, pointy, big, long stick thing, and poke a bear in the ass, and we wake it up, 
and we wave the, the honeypot in front of its nose. And if the bear's hunger exceeds its anger, we get to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, then we better learn how to run pretty fast. That's like cold calling. And I don't want to, I don't want to do that. You know, uh, the other option is we put the honeypot outside the forest and the hungry bears wake up and come out and eat the honey. So that's essentially what good marketing does is it doesn't go running through the forest, poking bears who don't want to know about our stuff, uh, eat our honey. We just put the honeypot outside the forest. So MD does, he, he finds the forest with the bears with my little map. I give him LinkedIn is a gold mine, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's in this particular case, because that's one forest, very big one, but it's one forest, lots of other forests out there. That's where MD works. And he puts the pots of gold in the LinkedIn forest and the hungry bears come out and eat it. And, and in our case, the, 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 pot, the, the honey pot is, is registered for a meeting and attend it. That's, and that's what MD does. He gets pe- the right people to register for and attend a meeting that I run. Is this like and a it, webinar or a seminar? Yeah, it's, 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 it's an online event. It's uh, webcams on. It's exclusive. It's small because the problem with webinars is you've got 200 people there and they're all feel they're anonymous. And so they're checking their emails and checking right. their Facebook feeds. And, you know, if you say something that might be interested, they'll have one ear open. But if they have a really good email, they might miss it completely. So when you have a smaller meeting and the webcams are on, it's engaged and it's very difficult for people to- So s- small, quantify small. Yeah, I think video conference. Quantify small, six to eight people. Okay. No more, but highly qualified. Well, no, sorry, it's not highly qualified. qualified. Carefully selected. Right. Carefully selected. We know what their role is. We know they're interested in our honeypot. In my case, it's lead generation. And the value proposition to attend the meeting is very direct. It's not- come to a free training webinar, which really means it's the sales trap wrapped up in right. training. You know, uh, It's, look, if you're interested in lead gen, I'm gonna sh- I've got a model that I can show you. It's going to be a live demonstration. We'll show you in real time how it's working, why it's working, and who it's working with. If you're interested, click here, mm-hmm. and we'll see you on, on the call. By the way, there's only going to be a maximum of six people there, and it's webcams on. So people come in knowing it's webcams on, mm-hmm. uh, that it's not going to be one of these meetings that I can hide in, and, and, you know, people are getting 12.5% attendance rates of webinars these days. It used to be 40%. Right. right. Uh, because, we've, because we've told people, hey, there's going to be a replays, you know. So don't. Basically, we've programmed people not to turn up because there's going to be a replay. No one listens to the freaking replay. Who's going to sit there for an hour with a video on on a computer where there's so many other distractions? So, so by running these little things I call them boardroom briefings, we get contractors of five bucks an hour plus their bonus to drive carefully selected people to these intimate, highly engaging meetings. And from at the end of that, having given our prospects a date and having not proposed on first sight like Hugh Jackman, we've given them that immersive experience of our brand, built credibility, uh, established differentiation, and then we've proposed that if they meet the criteria, reverse psychology, sure. then we should talk. All right. So how often do you do these conversations? Well, what I recommend for my clients is they do one of these a week. I I can do three. But the thing is, Andy, the beauty about the system is, I mean, MD's there and this, as I said, I don't know where it is in Bangladesh, but you think, you know, do you think people start noticing that this guy is like driving a Rolls Royce all of a sudden? Because, you know, I don't know what he's driving, but, but they, you know, family know that this guy's onto something. He's, he's got this private little gold mine called Leadology that he works for five hours a week and he's earning you know, something like eight and a half times the national average for other people working 60 hours a week. 
So how many contractors do you want? How many leads do you want? Because it's a big old world out there for in my industry. Mm-hmm. And it's sure, I have a merger and acquisition consultant who's a client in London. He works mostly in Western Europe and, and North America. So he's, you know, his ticket price for a sale is around a quarter of a million bucks. So he, he doesn't have the massive forest of hungry bears that I have. Sure. But he's, but he's still got the forest and he's still sure. using a contractor and he's still running a meeting once a week, even if you have one or two people. He doesn't need too many at those weekly meetings in order for him to have a full pipeline. Well, I mean, I used, that's so funny you talk about this because, you know, I used to use this method 40 years ago myself. Really? And yeah. So what I would do, I was working for my first professional job out of college, working for a company called Burroughs at the time, second largest computer company in the world. Right. And in my branch office, I learned this from a senior guy in the office because I was, yeah, we all had to go out and spend like six months making cold calls and, and yeah. Yippee. You know, I, yeah, and I yeah, making 30, 40 calls a day and pounding the streets. And this was in the San Francisco Bay Area. And and I finally looked at Gary and it's like, well, Gary's crushing it. And he's not doing this. What's he doing? And he was been there for a number of years. And he just never seemed like he worked more than he had to, everything under control. And, and I said, So, you know, Gary, you know, tell me your system here. And so what he would do is he would send out Again, we're talking, you know, pre-email, everything else. He, but he would, you know, go in the business directories for his line of business that he worked, and he worked uh, law firms, I think, and if I remember uh-huh. correctly, and he would send out like ten postcards a week, inviting people to a seminar in our branch office. And so he's never going to get more than three or four. They'd come in. He would give a demonstration and it'd be, you know, specifically geared for for law firms uh-huh. and the application. Uh-huh. And yeah, he'd always walk away with a prospect or so. And so I, yeah, I did this. I, I copied it and I did the same thing for my line of business was uh, the construction industry. And yeah, it works. Smart. And I've got, yeah, and I have a client that uh, a guy I worked with uh, a number of years ago, not that long, I guess, but, but he did the same thing. We got him on a system and he just <clears throat> crushed it, you know, using these type of. Uh, you know, small, well, limited, limited attendance events, limited attendance events, as you said, weren't right, right, weren't right. weren't meant purely as sales pitches. They had an educational. Of course, people see through to a degree. They know when they're coming to your thing that that you know, well, sale, it, a sales yeah. sales pitch is going to happen at some point. So we're not kidding anybody. But how you structure no. it, you know, the fact that it's it's small group, the people are seeing things, they can ask their questions, they can get them answered in real time. They're paying attention. Same deal. You said, yeah, it same works. deal. Same deal. It's it's you know your, your your colleague understood he was not he was more like Jack Human than Hugh Jackman mm-hmm. that he needed a date with people. He didn't want to waste his time and be inefficient. Um, again, mixing my metaphors, but running through the forest poking bears that weren't hungry in the ass. Right. Um, so he created an immersive experience. He he put the honey pots out there, the postcards for the honey pots, and the interested hungry bears woke up and came out of the forest into his office and had a look at the demo. So, so it's, it's exactly the same principle, mm-hmm. and it fits perfectly with my little metaphor, which is nice since this is a live interview. Uh, well, it's an interview at least, which will be <laughs> re- 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 reproduced, um, published, I should say. So, so it's the same deal. And so it's interesting to know that all the years ago in, in San Francisco, and I don't think it was any different in caveman t- times, you know, you're wanting to sell, I don't know, a dead saber-toothed tiger, stick the thing on the barbecue and start flogging some steaks, you know, give people a taste and experience. It's the pink teaspoon at the ice cream counter. You know, would you like to sample our coconut ripple? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, that's rather nice. I'll have one, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all sorts of psychology that comes into play here. Uh, and and we're not even talking about differentiation, but just look at reciprocity. 
it's one of the most powerful psychological surges mm-hmm. uh, in, 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 the, in the human unconscious. The moment we do something for someone, such as put on an event and give them an interesting educational and hopefully motivational experience, they're going to feel unconsciously bound to buy our product versus someone else's, all other things being equal. Well, especially, yes, and especially if you're the first one to talk to them. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it's interesting to see that these these things that worked for you so many years ago can be extrapolated and put onto the internet with a $5 contractor in Bangladesh who's earning, as I said, eight and a half times the national average. Yeah, so uh, people will be curious, is how did you find a resource like MD? Well, there's lots of freelancer websites out there. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you want to put my feet to the fire and, and rip out from my heart all my secrets, um, don't hire an agency. Hire an individual. Individuals, mm-hmm. you know what you get. With an agency, you know the owner of the agency, but you don't know who you're going to get. And it can become like a revolving door policy with some of these agencies. Right. Right. So you want to have an individual because you can, you can make, you can establish a relationship with an individual. I care. I, I demonstrate care about all my contractors. If they're upset, for example, because they got someone booked to a meeting, which is hard work, you know, they've mm-hmm. got to go through a lot of people to, to find uh, to find the right person who wants to register and attend a meeting. They get an attendance bonus. My contractor, like MD, gets an attendance bonus. Mm-hmm. Now, if we have a stuff up at our end and they've got someone registered, uh, 50% of the people who registered will generally turn up because right. we, we filter them a bit, which is not bad. Um, so if they get to go to the hard work and get someone registered, and then we have a mess up at our meeting because they, so I don't know, there's a system and it crashed and I couldn't start the meeting, I pay them a bonus for everyone who registered. Because mm-hmm. they're upset because they did the hard work and got someone registered. We don't know if that person would have showed up or not. I'm still going to pay them a bonus. So I want to look after my contractors because they're my oxygen supply, essentially. I was going to say, for the audience, so people listening, is that there are these resources that you can find, as you said, you can find them on you know, sites like Upwork and others that that uh, people are available, freelancers, and yeah, and there are people that work for you know less salary and other places that are perfectly competent to do this type of work, and you know there have been books written about this subject. Is yeah, you, know, you want to the degree that you can is try to leverage you know your own your own yeah. capital and your own resources in an effective way to. To help you generate yeah. leads. I mean, if, if, if let's just take the scenario. Let's, you're an entrepreneur or business owner. I, mean, I think most of us are actually business owners, not entrepreneurs, even though everyone's telling us we're entrepreneurs. We're not. We own a business because uh, I don't have six businesses running at the same time like you know, Richard Branson has a couple of hundred. So as a business owner, what's your time worth? You know, is, when you, when, if it's face-to-face client time, it's probably worth $300,000, $500,000, $2,000 an hour. So do you really want to spend that time stalking people on LinkedIn uh, or would you rather a $5 an hour contractor and Bangladesh does it and can feed his whole family for five bucks a day? Mm-hmm. Probably the latter. If you are, have a sales team, then work out what it costs you to have each individual salesperson working for you per hour. It's probably anywhere from 80 bucks an hour upwards. Maybe it's even you know three or $400 an hour. So ask yourself again, do you want to have that salesperson cold calling or would you rather have someone in Bangladesh, Pakistan, the Philippines, or India doing that for you perfectly competently and far more consistently and reliably? Kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. No, I, I think it is. And when you, as you said, factor out what the cost of a conversation is. Yeah. And yeah. You know, start from there and work backwards. And the numbers start mm. becoming fairly compelling. And 
Go ahead. And Andy, I think one of the reasons that people don't get into uh, outsourcing is they read some BS book about how you can just sit on the beach for half an hour a day and let all the, you know, with your laptop and let all the money wash over your beautiful body because you only need to work four hours a week or something. And that's not realistic. I mean, the guy that wrote the four hour work week does not work four hours a freaking week, right? No, Tim so, Ferriss works much longer. Yeah, than that. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think he's working more than four hours a week. But I understand it's a metaphor. It's more of a metaphor than it mm-hmm. is. He didn't mean it literally, I don't think. I don't think he did anyway. Um, but what it does is it's very clever because he drove home the point. And the point is you can work a hell of a lot less if you want to and actually generate a whole lot more revenue by tapping into the power of outsourcing over the internet. Excellent. All right. Unfortunately, we uh, we've reached the end of our time. So, uh, well, we'll have you back again. We just really seem like we're just starting to scratch the surface. So, mm. tell folks how they can find out more about you and connect with you personally. Oh, thank you for that question. Um, look, go to www.bookachatwithtom.com. Real simple. <laughs> bookachatwithtom.com. Have a read of the page. See if you qualify. And if you do, check the little boxes at the bottom and then find a time for us to have a conversation about putting lead gen into your business. Um, everything's explained on there, including my fee range and how I work with clients. So as you would hope, given that I've suggested that's what you'd be doing uh, mm. as an audience member. Um, but the other place people can go is just check out the, the main website, which is uh, leadsology.guru. And I apologize in, in advance for the .guru, but .com was gone. Uh, leadsology.guru. Uh, there's lots of free stuff there. So there's probably two pretty good, pretty pretty relevant resources, Andy. Well, as Dan Kennedy said, brand yourself and title, title yourself before other people do. So you can call yourself a guru <laughs> all you want. <laughs> thank so, you, Dan. <laughs> there you go. All right, Tom Poland, thank you very much. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Andy. It's been, it's been very, very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Again, that was Tom Poland, author of Leadsology, The Science of Being in Demand. Joining me next, as always at this time, is my friend Bridget Gleason, Vice President of Sales at Logs.io. And today, Bridget and I are going to tackle a simple topic. Should AEs, account executives, be expected to prospect? I mean, some companies are eliminating their SDR role and putting prospecting back in the hands of their AEs. So the overarching question is, Should sales continue down the path toward hyper-specialization of sales roles? Or is the life cycle sales rep making a comeback? All right, let's jump into it. Bridget, how are you doing? Captain Andy. I'm going to call you Captain Andy because it just (laughs) seems right. Captain Andy, Captain Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Maybe I look like Popeye. My muscular muscular forearms. I don't think so. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. I just joined a gym. Yeah, I, 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 you know, getting to that age where I'm, I can feel myself losing strength by by the day. Even though you know I'm out running and running half marathons and biking, you know, hundreds of miles and so on. It's like in my arms. It's like God. I need to need to get some strength back. I don't have to, you know, ask a <laughs> go find a teenager to open up a jar for me. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. Gosh. Where has the time gone? Where's the time gone? I don't know. I don't. I, I, I prefer not to think about it. Just focus on what's coming. Yep. All this opportunity we have, right? Today is another opportunity to succeed. It is. It is. To thrive, to succeed. That's right. So speaking of which, as sort of a clumsy segue into today's topic, is um, 
Yeah, I'd written about this recently too. Is is I'd been on another one of the conferences I go to and overheard an account executive. And I, and maybe preface this, but just by saying, really interested in your feedback on this because um, an account exec telling a, a group of friends or whatever that that his manager had told him that you know if he wasn't you know the times on during the day when he wasn't completely busy, he should be prospecting. And this, <laughs> this guy was sort of smirking at the idea that that would be expected of him as as an account executive. And it reminded me of of this one company where I had helped out where the management team had as a startup and they'd invested in a bringing an expensive sales professional to build an early book of business, help build the team. And I don't know, I think they lasted less than six months together and he told me, you know, that they they weren't prepared to support quote unquote support someone at his level, and <laughs> the company said basically, yeah, the guy wouldn't prospect. Um, and it just sort of struck me, and there are other stories like that that I've yeah you know, heard about in conversations with people is is that um, you know should should AEs be prospecting? And not just in SaaS companies, but you know, in general, there, there's the sort of this cold calling, no cold calling debate that goes on uh, ad nauseum in sales. But but I don't know. It seems like there's this coming inflection point, which sort of makes this a little more a little more urgent. Uh, so yeah, it's just interesting your your feedback on that. Because I know they, I know some do, people are are. And I was talking to some people at another conference recently that. You are saying, hey, we're and you and I talked about this a few weeks ago. Is is companies saying, hey, we're getting rid of SDRs? You know, we're gonna, uh, you know, AEs will be prospecting. You know, we might bring in some tools, technology to help. But yeah, you know, it's just we're seeing this the sea change, and and I sort of find it interesting. There's this group of AEs. I don't know, you know, how big saying, you know, that's just not my job, right? I don't, I don't prospect. But sort of following up to the conversation you and I had last week about about sort of low close rates. I, I was sort of picturing this, you know, hey, we've got a changing world, sales model changes, and suddenly you've got an account exec that says, well, hmm, I don't prospect, and I don't close very high percentage of my orders. Uh-oh, what what good am I to anybody? That's not how they think about it. Oh, I know, but I'm saying, should they be? Uh, I mean, it, the, the world is the world's changing, and I'm just wondering whether, you know, this idea we have, the sort of the hyper-specialization of roles and sales is... I see it changing already based on some of the conversations I'm having with companies that I, you know, have a fair number every every week. Um, you know, are are we doing a disservice to AEs by keeping them so specialized from a career from a career standpoint? Okay, so I, I guess it, I don't think specialization is actually so much the problem. Okay. Um, yeah, that's why I'm interested in your perspective on this because it's yeah, it's, yeah. I, I, it's okay that there's specialization. That's fine. I, I under you, you get sort of in this repetition of tasks. That's fine. I would say for an AE though, do, do you want to hit your number? Do you want to make sure that you have more control than? We talked about this last time. One, I'd get really good at closing deals. And two, I'd get really good at prospecting into target accounts. You don't have to do a lot, but I would do some for sure. 
And so I hear it all the time. Well, it's not my job. SDR should be doing it. Marketing. Okay, great. Super. At the end of the day, uh, what do you, do you want to bring home the money or not? Like <laughs> complain, complain all you want, complain all you want. But I, I just, you got to do I, what you got to do. Right. I mean, I think if um, that's always I been my theory, said, right? Yes, yes, yes. You've got to do what you've got to do. But there seems to be this, this militance on or militancy whatever the correct usage is um, on the part of, AEs that that I hear about anecdotally, that I overhear sometimes directly, that as if you know that part of their life, the idea of actually prospecting is has gone forever. And I'm like, yeah, I, I think you're setting yourself up for a fall if you think that's the case. I totally agree. I, I completely agree. And it's funny because most of the many of the reps who I talk to and hire, um. Uh, they'll often say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I prospect. I understand how important it is. But when push comes to shove, more likely than not, they've got just the belief that leads are my right. <laughs> I am entitled to them. High quality. And give them to me. And it's like, Sorry. Okay, we can go pass a bill, go to Congress, do whatever you need. But until then, right. I, I think you might as well just get out there and prospect. So I, for me, it's like an argument I wouldn't even need to get into. I've got a certain amount of money I want to make. I want to have a certain amount of control over it. I'm not going to – I want as few people as possible – I shouldn't have that's I'm I'm phrasing it maybe the wrong way. There's a certain amount of dependency exactly. that you're going to need to have. But I am also going to increase my own chances. Yeah, you're gonna reduce your dependency. Hundred percent. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, yeah. I, I think that that is so part and parcel of being in sales is how do you how do you mitigate your risks? And part of having a plan. You know, you start the, the, let's say, the calendar year, the sales year, whenever that is, with a plan. Part of your plan, if if your manager is, is taking care of you, is to look at whatever plan you have and say, okay, well, here are the risk factors, or have you identified the risk factors, and how do you mitigate those? And if one of the right. risk one of the risk factors is, I assume I'm going to get X number of leads handed on a platter to me. Uh, okay, well, how are you going to mitigate that risk? <laughs> And oftentimes, right. oftentimes, that means going and prospecting yourself. Yes, and the the reps that I have, my top performing reps, um, are always prospecting. Love it. And they'll say, I mean, they're always. It's not like they're prospecting all the time, but it's part of what they do mm -hmm. daily, weekly. It's right, just exactly. part of it, and they don't talk about it. They don't talk about it. They just do it. Exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I have a little uh, tool I developed that, that I've given to many companies is for you know, AEs to really calculate, or sales reps to calculate how many leads they need to develop so that they really understand. So they take into account all the, all yeah. the risk factors. Um, and so they have a realistic understanding when they start their sales year, start a quarter or whatever. It's like, oh, well, this is okay. I need to develop 30 new leads in order to close, you know, based on my ratios of 
you know, lead close to or lead to close. So what's that mean in terms of time I need to allocate for developing the accounts? Da, 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 da. I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, it seems like it's just good survival instincts uh, or not even survival instincts, like good success instincts, let's say, make it more, more positive, which I think it really is. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I, understand how like we t- you had made a comment about specialization and wondering if that um if that's a good thing or a bad thing i think one of the things on the negative side of the ledger mm-hmm. of of it is it does set the expectation that that means i shouldn't have to do any of it and that's not if prospecting that's not necessarily the case yeah, well, I think in some companies that's that's clearly what's happened, and and my my advice would be if you're listening to the show and and you're somebody in that that situation that we started talking about risks before is that, um, yeah, the prospecting muscle is a muscle that needs to be exercised. I mean, I right. think I think what happens with you talk to sales reps who say, "Well, I don't prospect," is yeah, they're a little concerned. I bet you at some point in their career they did, but yeah, like for everybody, it's it's not it's not the number one thing most people enjoy doing, but you do it because you have to do it. And if you let the muscle atrophy, then you know you getting outside that comfort zone at that point becomes much more difficult. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Some people do enjoy it. I would say most. It's not their favorite. It's not the favorite of their tasks. But, you know, you think about where it's going to lead, and that's the important thing to focus on. Yeah. What I think also, we talked about the risk issue. That, and I think, to me, that's really the critical one, right? Is, is how do I, I always want to be in as much control as possible of my fate. Me too, man. <laughs> I'm all about the control. And that was part of the reason I got into sales in the first place. Yep. I mean, if I wanted to go be in a, a staff job somewhere where... You know, I was just like everybody else, and it was really hard to discern exactly what my contribution was and how I was going to be rewarded based on that. I would have taken that path, but I went into sales for exactly the opposite reason, as I expect you did as well. Yeah, I uh, I, I like it. I like uh, running my own show in just about everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, which... Maybe that's just a natural salesperson. Well, I... I, I I think it always was. I'm not sure it is as much. And I think that managers sort of de-emphasize this whole idea. I mean, certainly the when you and I got started, I remember my my first boss saying, "Hey, this is yeah, this territory. Mine was geographic territory at the time, but this is your business. You're the CEO of this business, so make it happen." And was, I love that. Yeah, that was about as much direction as we got at the time. Yeah, that's about how much direction you did get. Sometimes we would get, God, this is dating myself again, which I do a lot on this uh, show. Uh, you'd have a phone book. You'd have a phone book on your desk, and you'd have a phone, which that's not always the case today. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you use your cell phone. And there you go. Good luck. Hope yeah. you can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, now I think it's it's just a closing thought on this because I know we need to to take off is is that um, yeah I think this 
we're in the sort of generation of of managers, and this is not age related necessarily. It's it's just the analogy I'm using is like the helicopter parents we all read about, which really is you know the boomer generation is the, the helicopter parents. But I think managers are sort of like helicopter managers these days. You know, it's every detail needs to be taken care of and and managed as opposed to uh, hey, go out and figure it out. Right. Right. So. I know you're not a helicopter manager, but no, I'm not because this helicopter is hovering over too many things. That exactly, the helicopter. Uh, otherwise, maybe I would be. No, I don't think it's really my nature. No. No. I think I'm too lazy. <laughs> I get, keep getting back to that. I'm just too lazy. Yeah, I think if it's listened to even a fraction of the 137 episodes, 138 episodes has picked up on that. Has picked up the fact that's probably not. I'm lazy. The case. No, that's probably just the opposite. So. I'm not going to let you slide on that one. You're yeah. anything but lazy. Yeah, all right. You who run every morning at 4.30. Yeah, I know. Or 5. five. Okay, 5. Well, see, you are getting lazy. It used to be 4.30, see? now it's 5. You're I slipping. Know. See, it's, I'm already slipping. There you go. Already slipping. All right, my friend. We will look forward to speaking with you next week. All the friends out there, thank you for joining us again. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you then. Until next time. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the Week. First of all, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guests, Tom Poland and my friend, Bridget Gleason. Join me again next week as we kick off the official start of summer with my guest, Pat Lynch. Pat's Vice President of Sales Enablement, Excellence, and Innovation at MindTickle. He was just on the show a few weeks ago. He's back again for a second conversation. And of course, no Accelerate would be complete without the ability to swap some stories with my friend, Bridget. As always, Bridget will be joining me for our weekly conversation. Be sure to join us then. So thanks again to our sponsor, Discover Org, for their ongoing support of Accelerate. Thanks again to you for joining me. And until next week, good selling, everyone. <laughs>